Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Speak Plainly podcast, where we speak plainly about things that matter. I am your host, Owl Medicine, best-selling author, trauma coach, and founder of Decolonize Healthcare. I apologize for being gone lately. I had this podcast recorded weeks ago when it was supposed to come out because I promised in the last episode that there would be one about how I wrote the book in the next episode saying it was going to come out next week, um, which was like two weeks ago now. And I recorded the podcast and didn't have time to edit it. I was flying to Southern California. And when I got there, I opened up the file and the audio, for whatever reason, was utterly unusable. I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't save it. And I didn't have what I needed to be able to record a, a whole new bit of audio. So I apologize. That's the reason this didn't come out when I promised. I... I'm looking forward to this book being completed so I can be done entirely with all the book crap. I thought writing the book was going to be the hard part. I was wrong. It's been it's been crazy. Anyway, I promised I would tell you guys about how I wrote the book. You already know what the book is about. I did an overview on it. There's been pieces throughout this entire podcast that have talked about Rethinking Broken. But today, I want to talk about the process of how I actually came about writing the book itself. So I'm not going to be talking about content very much. I'm not going to be talking about my thought processes or the systems that are inside the book. I'm just going to be talking about how I wrote it, the different things that happened, how long it took, all that kind of crap. So... Without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, when I first decided that I wanted to write a book, it was because I had had people telling me for years that I should write a book. And what I found recently is that the people who had been telling me that, who were excited for me to get my, my book and read it, were surprised that it wasn't a memoir because I've had an interesting life. That said... I, I'm glad it's not a memoir because I don't, I mean, you have to know your story and your life in order to write a memoir, at least to some degree. And a lot of my childhood was blank, which is part of what stimulated this, this book, Rethinking Broken. Um, so I talked to a friend who I told her, I was like, I'm, I'm finally just going to do it. Everybody's been telling me to write a book. I'm just going to write a book, but I have no idea like what to really write about. I feel like there's something in me that could come out, but I don't really know what to do. I don't know what it is. And she said the same thing that every uh, like good friend says to a first-time author when they say, what should I write about? She goes, write about what you know. And I went, drama! So that's what I decided to write it about. And I wrote a good chunk of it sitting at the Blackbird Coffee Shop in Port Angeles. I wrote the first like 35 or 40,000 words over the course of a, like a couple of months or something. And most of it was all nonsensical. Like really, I, I was just barely beginning to get my ideas really out. And... After I got to like that 35, 40,000 word thing, uh, other stuff happened, life happened, and I did a, a cross-country tour 
with my ex and friend Michael. We did a cross-country tour in our vans. He took his, I took mine. He was teaching workshops. I was doing um, clinics and just traveling with him, and we were going to beautiful places and learning all the things that I wanted to learn. When I was a kid, I learned how that summer, I learned how to fly fish and rock climb and did all kinds of fun stuff. Well, when we finished that, then COVID hit. And we were in, I was in Hawaii when COVID hit. And then I flew back to Southern California and stayed in LA for a little bit. And COVID was terrible for everybody. The first place that opened up in COVID, because I'm a traveler, I need to travel, I need to be around other people who think differently and act differently and have different value systems and different compositions than I do. It thrills me, it fills me. So I wanted to get the hell out like everybody did. And I decided to be, fuck it, let's go to Costa Rica. So I did. And I specifically went to Costa Rica to write this book. Because I knew I'd already written some of it and it was really, really hard and terrible. So I decided I would rent a yurt, this place. I would rent a place and I found a yurt, a beautiful bamboo yurt on a coffee farm, a five-acre coffee farm. And the yurt was absolutely stunning. My goodness, when I tell you it was stunning, I mean it. The guy who designed the yurt was an architect is an architect in Costa Rica. He is Costa Rican and he exclusively uses bamboo. So like the pillars of the yurt are like two and a half like feet in diameter. I've never seen bamboo as big as what was used to make this yurt. It was stunning. And there was a big dome on on top. You know, like if you've seen yurts, you've seen that there's always like a plastic bit in the middle that like allows for a little bit of light and is like the capstone in the center. Well, he special formed his so it would capture the moonlight. And especially on a full moon, it would capture the moonlight and redirect the light downward onto the floor and the moon the moonlight would travel across the floor. It was stunning. But the yurt was out in the middle of nowhere. I mean nowhere. I had to walk to a tiny little corner like convenience store and that was the only place I could get food. And it was like a mile and a half walk there and a mile and a half walk back and I did that walk like every other day so I could go and get a bunch of platanos and rice and beans and uh, some Costa Rican desserts. And I locked myself away in this yurt for two months. And when I tell you this was uncomfortable, my goodness, I was horribly uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable. It was crazy. I wanted to do anything except for write the book, which I knew, right? Like I knew going into this that I wanted to to do anything other than write this book. And that's the reason I went to Costa Rica, to this farm in the middle of nowhere, so I wouldn't have anything fun to do. I still managed to watch some shows that I'd never seen and like find some new like YouTube personalities I didn't know. But as I was really getting into writing the book and I got settled in and my nerves like chilled out after like four or five days. I I was sitting out front in the beautiful Costa Rican sun and I was just writing when my journals because I brought a stack of journals. I had six 
I had six um, journals altogether, a couple of which were filled with old notes and old stories, and then a couple of which were empty. I filled all of the empty ones. I did a ton of research. I wrote all kinds of stuff down because I, I still didn't really know what I was writing about until this morning where I was out and I was just doing my little daily journaling thing so I could stay in the practice of writing. And suddenly the word brokenness hit me. And immediately after that, rethinking broken. Because that's how we identify, at least the people I wanted to talk to. When I'm writing this book, I was like, all right, it's about trauma, but what can I, what can I do? What can I offer? I have trauma, but not, not any worse than other people I know. <laughs> definitely like not as bad as some other people I know, and definitely way worse than other people that I know. Right? It's like, so no matter where you look, you're always kind of feeling average. But when that phrase, rethinking broken, hit me, man, I cried instantly. And I knew that that was the name. I immediately went inside and I looked up to see if that had been claimed by anybody and it hadn't. So I immediately that day bought the website rethinkingbroken.com because I loved, love, and still do that title. I'm quite happy with it. So that's how Rethinking Broken was born. I threw away that those 35,000 words or 40 or whatever it was from the Blackbird. I trashed it. I was like, whatever. Just chuck it in the garbage bin. It's time to move on. And I was writing and writing and writing and developing my, developing this system of like, I've figured some stuff out, and I'm good at helping other people figure their stuff out. Other people who were also traumatized or had rough starts in life and had tough childhoods or had had some uh, really troublesome things happen to them in their life. I have, I have a natural ability to help them, to help them see all the power that they have and the skills that they have that they don't see in themselves. And it's really natural and easy for me to do that. But trying to figure out how to do that in book form was super duper hard. Luckily, the last couple of weeks that I was in Costa Rica out of those two months, my friend Ebony and her daughter flew out to Costa Rica and I went to hang out with them. I left my tiny little yurt and I joined them in much more beautiful scenic parts of Costa Rica and had a great time. We went down to the jungle area and it, on the little peninsula on the, at the very southwest side. It was stunning. We went to a beautiful hot spring resort. That was great. And what was cool is, like, we went to not just a hot spring resort, but, but to an absolutely exquisite hot spring resort, like one that I could never, ever afford. I would never, even if I could afford it, I would never be able to justify spending that amount of money on a resort on the room, on the food, on any of it. Still, I had a blast. I, it was awesome. 
but it was still very uncomfortable for me. Very uncomfortable because I'm still coming off of van life and I was just like, I mean, it was really cool, but it's just not my, not my speed, right? So it was an amazing experience that I will never forget. And thank you, Ebony, for sharing that with me and Tania. It was absolutely marvelous. But because it was not really my speed immediately after, I was like, all right, I need to get back to like my people and to myself and the way that I do things. So being me, what do I do? I go to a hostel. And this was really cool. Hostels. Side note here. Hostels are awesome. Like, go spend more time in hostels. Seriously. Hostels are absolutely incredible places. They're community centers. They are travel centers. Like, And the people that are in hostels are, are so open and so down for everything. It, hostels are my favorite place on the planet. I one day want to own and operate a hostel because I just... I. They've done more good for me than like just about any other single thing that I can think of. I, I love them. And this was no exception. In fact, this is a perfect example of why I love hostels. So I went to the hostel and I met some incredible people who have become very close friends of mine. And if you are listening, Trev and Yearn and Jules and even Courtney, I haven't talked to you in a while, but I love these people. We and I I got to meet them. We got to talk, and they were asking questions, and I got to talk about the book. And this is an important piece for how I came about writing this. I was writing stuff out, but I am not a writer. I've never been a writer. So if you're thinking about writing a book, but you're not a writer, oh well, you'll be one by the time you finish your book. Just be patient with yourself and do what I did. I know that I'm a verbal processor. And so with all these ideas that I was working out in the in the book, I I wound up just talking to other people about them. I wound up having the same conversation a hundred ways because I was trying to describe what I wanted to say and I couldn't do it very well. People found it interesting and whatnot, but I just it was not succinct. And that's my job as a writer now to take my thoughts and make them succinct and communicate them to you so you can get what I'm saying with the least amount of effort on both of our parts. Or at least the least amount of effort on your part. So I really got a chance to talk to everybody about it and talk to them about my concept of strengthnesses and my concept of being chronic stress adapted rather than broken or traumatized or whatever you want to call it. Um, I, and I got to really flesh this stuff out with them. And I called eventually, I called some some people who their job is to help, like they, they help authors, they do big edits and stuff, but it was way too much money. I could not afford the like $1,500 or whatever. I don't even remember. It was something crazy, which I eventually did spend and more, much more on editing. But at the time, I couldn't make that work out. So when I left Costa Rica... I had I, I had taken that two months to really dig into what is it that I think I want to say? 
and really just keep writing and keep writing and keep writing and keep just getting out this jumbled ball of of yarn that is my brain. I use this analogy a lot, um, and nothing made this more clear than my time in Costa Rica writing this book. When I take a pen to paper, it's like... I grab my pen, and attached to that pen is the free end of the big ball of yarn that exists in my head. That is all of my thoughts and feelings and associations and all of that. And when I pin that down and I start writing a letter, it automatically unravels that giant ball of yarn. And doing that over and over and over again... And then talking about it over and over and over and over again eventually like, helped me get to a place where I knew what I wanted to say. And I was beginning to be able to say it succinctly. So I wrote like 60,000 words or something and... I got about half of the book done because I didn't do the last section. There are four sections in the book, and I didn't do this last section. I didn't even have the idea for sections yet. But the last section I knew was going to be about maintenance, about maintenance for us as biological beings who have been conditioned through our trauma to behave in certain ways in certain circumstances. And I wanted to – and I I knew that that was going to be about movement and yoga and meditation and that sort of thing. And that was going to be fine. That wasn't going to be hard. Those are things I already know. So I was like, I don't even need to write that yet, but I need help. And the shorter it is, the cheaper it will be to find help. So I reached out to my friend Katie Bowman, who runs Nutritious Movement. If you don't know Katie Bowman, she is fantastic. A, she is a, 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 there was one book that somebody called her a practical genius, and she really, really is. She's very thorough and very methodical in the way that she thinks about movement and about the body and its intricate interplays. Anyway, she's written like a dozen or so books, and they're in a bunch of languages, and she's trained thousands of people um, as restorative exercise specialists across the world. And her last couple of books were edited by this lady named uh, Penelope Jackson. So I didn't know that at the time. I just reached out to Katie and was like, hey, I'm writing this book, and it's about that place where I need like a I need somebody else who knows what they're doing <laughs> to help me and take a look at it. So I asked her, and she was like, yeah, here, take, like, uh, here's Penelope's information. I don't know if she's, like, available right now. She's pretty busy, but uh, take her. Like, you'll, you'll pay for it, but she's worth it. And I'm like, cool, awesome. And from what I did, like, from all the research I did on the Internet, everybody said your best bet is to find somebody who has edited for a friend or edited for another person that you know and use their editor. That is always the best way to go about it because you never know. You never know the quality, you never know the background, you never know how much they've done, whatever. So I was very, very happy. And my goodness, I sent Penelope this pile of hot garbage. I mean a hot pile of garbage, a hot, steaming, stinking, festering, insepid, disgusting pile of hot garbage. And she took months to get it back to me because she was being so thoughtful and so methodical and so helpful. And she did it for cheaper than she quoted me for it, which I was so incredibly thankful for because I did not have the money at the time. Um, Or now, but we solved that later. 
when I gave that to her, I waited ages to get it back. And when I got it back, I was so excited. Um, one of the things that she suggested, she created an outline for me because, like I said, I didn't know what I was writing when I started writing it, which means I just started writing things. I just kind of free-flowed all of my ideas out onto a page. And I had done that once at Blackbird and scrapped that, and then I did it in Costa Rica. And I could not, for the life of me, remember where I put what. Like, where in the book I wrote what. Because I didn't have chapters, really. I just had, like, headings. And none of it was organized in Microsoft Word as chapters or anything. I couldn't figure that out. So then I downloaded Scrivener, which was a thing that was really helpful to help me get started and help me organize my thoughts. And so when she gave me that, that outline back... I found out about Scrivener, downloaded it. It's like 50 bucks. If you're a beginning author, use it. It's fantastic. It's 50 bucks, one-time thing. You have it for life, and it can be used for absolutely anything from writing screenplays to, uh, like, research papers to nonfiction or fiction books, and it's got layouts for all of it, and it's really cool. But I used a Scrivener and her outline, and I tried for about three weeks to edit what she told me to edit. And it was terrible. I was garbage. I couldn't do it. It was so uncomfortable for me that I could not bring myself to actually edit anything. And I was really struggling with it. And that's the reason it took me three weeks because it doesn't take three weeks for you to realize that you can't edit something. It takes a couple of days, a couple of hours probably. But I didn't want to give up on it. But eventually, knowing that I didn't want to give up on it, but it was garbage, I went, okay, well, I'm not a writer. I know that I'm not a writer, and that's a big part of what's going on. I'm confused. I don't know what I wrote where, and I'm not good at writing. So in order to get better at writing, what do I need to do? I need to practice. Cool. So I'll write more. And I took the that entire, like, three quarters of a book, and I trashed it. I took her outline that she gave me with everything that was in the book, which I didn't even have the term chronic stress adapted at the time. I was using the term high acers because I was looking at people with four or above aces, um, aces being adverse childhood experiences. We talk about that in the book, but I didn't even have the term chronic stress adapted. So when I rewrote it, I had some new things to put in, some new things that I thought were much better, including CSA, strengthenesses stayed the same. And that was one of the best decisions that I made throughout this process. I would like to point out again that I threw away the first chunk of a book, like 30K, 35, 40,000 words. Um, and the average self-help book is about 55,000 words. I was trying to keep mine between 35 and 45 because it's specifically for traumatized people. So I wanted to make it as short as possible so I could get all of the meat and potatoes in front of the people who need to see it and need to hear it in a way that's going to resonate with them that's not going to waste a single moment of their time. Because that's that's what I like. I like it soup just down and dirty, detailed, fast. Don't repeat yourself. I pick up information quickly. And a lot of us chronic stress adapted people do. So that's what I that's what I wanted. Unfortunately, me as a consumer with ADD, unfortunately, means that I don't have the attention span if I repeat myself. 
me as a communicator with ADHD means that I consistently repeat myself and go off on tangents and hopefully eventually come back to the original thing that I thought. And since to me everything is connected, each like chapter would wander off in a direction and I would say basically the same thing that I said in another chapter because it's all related and I was really having a hard time keeping it all straight. But I want you to know if you're thinking about writing a book and that might be the reason or writing anything and that might be the reason that you're listening to this exact podcast, don't be afraid to throw it away like completely because I, I'm glad that I did. It made my life so much easier because what I realized is I'm not a writer, but I am a good storyteller. And so now I'm at this place where... I have been busting my ass every single day, six hours a day, minimum writing with no break. I'm just writing for six solid hours. And I like it that way. It works for me. I just I just caffeinate a lot um, at the Essence Coffee Shop. And right now I'm at that place where I'm going through and I am trimming all of the fat. I, I, I slapped it through Grammarly, which has been a massive, massive help because after I rewrote the entire thing, I was much happier with what was with what I had. And then I sent it to Penelope again. And I was like, hey, so I started with the outline that you gave me and I rewrote an entirely new book. And she was floored with how much better it was. She was very happy for me. I was very happy for me because the first one, like I said, hot pile of garbage. This one was actually like resembled like the concept of a book at least. So she helped me get through that. It was marvelous. By that point, it was 90,000 words though. It was, it was twice as long as I wanted it to be. But I wasn't worried about it because my idea was not my idea. It was something I heard that I decided to adopt. This thing, this principle of a good book should be everything that you need to know and nothing that you don't. So I figured my job is to tell people everything that they need to know. And my editor's job was to get rid of the everything that you don't. So when I gave it to Penelope... She was able to remove the two chapters that I already had footnoted to remove, a Kintsugi chapter and a chapter on theater, because it's just more of the same things. Kintsugi is a great analogy for what's going on in the book. That's why the cover is a kintsugi heart. And the theater is just another way for, like, especially severe trauma um, and severe PTSD for people who have... Their strengthnesses are so strong that they have that strengthness has dominated their entire personality. So they're like limited to being one aspect of a human being. And theater is really powerful in it allows us to pretend to be someone else. And that's how we then try on these different perspectives. And we get to know what it feels like to be a king or to be a queen, or to be a servant, or to be a whore, or to be a slave. You know, we get to try on all of these different character types. We get to try on all of these different archetypes, and that makes us think differently. And that is healing, because trauma isn't, for me, about even healing. The, the definition of healing in trauma is actually integration for me. 
I, I much prefer the word integration. And theater is a great way for us to use the facets of us that have maybe withered away and get to express them and get to nurture those other little pieces in a safe way. Um, but Again, there was already there's already a bunch of other stuff in the end about like good maintenance stuff. So we cut both of those chapters, and it was still like eighty eight or almost eighty nine thousand words. Still way too long. I've gotten it a little bit shorter. We're close. We're down to like eighty three now, which is good. But I am so thankful to Penelope for her role in this and how encouraging she was and she gave me she gave me the go ahead to basically take it to publication months ago and I've been working diligently um, to just try to make it better because there's still too much fat to me there's still too much fat in it I'm trying to get this really really narrowed down to people like me who think like me who think quick and want to pick up the information like quickly and move on right they don't like i need i need to be able to convince people that they aren't broken and that's why the book is long because i need to do the convincing first and then i can present you with the system of how to get out of that feeling of brokenness and then how to maintain being out of that feeling of brokenness but the convincing part is the first two chapter or first two sections the first half of the book the first one sets up what being what being broken feels like and what it does to us and how it shows up in our lives as adults and the second section is actually all about the science it is the data that proves that you aren't actually broken you were perfectly designed to adapt the way that you adapted it's just you adapted to inappropriate circumstances therefore your adaptations feel inappropriate because they were made for a fucked up world in which you were living in chronic stress and being traumatized every single fucking day and hopefully the type of chronic stress that you have now isn't as bad as it was then because at least like you're an adult and can like run away or get a job or like do your own thing or have a prefrontal cortex it's nice being able to do that i think so section one and two are just about like convincing people that they aren't broken and then three and four is figuring out what your skill sets are and where those skill sets are useful. And then the section four is the long-term maintenance. And this was actually given to me as an idea. The four, the four parts was given to me as an idea by Ebony. She was like, you know, like, maybe you need to break it up in like part one and part two. And I was looking at it and I thought about it for a couple of days and I eventually realized that I think four parts is good. And when I started breaking it up into sections like that, so much easier to write. My goodness. So if I ever, and I'm sure that I will, write another book, here's my takeaways of the things that I know that I will do first. I will sit down and figure out what the fuck it is that I want to write about first. Even if I'm just doing like free writing and that's how I figure it out, I'll free write, I'll come up with some bullet points and then I'm going to put those bullet points on an outline and I'm just going to shuffle that outline around until it makes sense somehow. 
And then I will go through and I'll slap it into Scrivener or now I know actually how to use Microsoft Word and how to use the headings and stuff. And if you know how to like use the headings and put in a table of contents, Microsoft Word's actually really, really great for navigation and whatnot. But that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that I know what I'm writing about and I'm going to make sure that it's organized and I'm going to probably break it into sections because that helps my brain. The more buckets that something is chopped up into, the easier it is for my brain to categorize and retain the information. That's my big takeaway. And my other big takeaway is I'm just going to do my cover designs myself. If you follow me on social media, then you've probably seen at least a handful of all these cover designs. I spent over $1,000 on my cover design stuff. I paid three people like 200 bucks a piece. I spent $600 just on trying to find somebody who like made a decent cover for me. They were all terrible. They were all terrible. <laughs> Some were better than others, for sure. The first one was absolute garbage, like so bad. I had to leave a terrible review on Fiverr and be like, this was not at all worth it. I don't know what in the world's going on. It looks clip-arty as hell. This is terrible. They should not charge $200 for this. Um, some of them were better, but gave the wrong vibe. So I decided, as an artistic person myself, I would just try to do it. I was trying to delegate, which is a thing that's hard for me that I have worked on throughout this process of writing this book. I've had to learn how to delegate, and I thought I could delegate doing the cover design because that is it's beautiful and it's really important because the cover is what makes people pick up the book and flip it over. And then the back is what tells the people what's in the book for them which was an important piece. I thought that the back was a spot for me to display what is in the book briefly. And although that's true, more accurately, it's a way to sell the book to the reader, to tell them not just what's in the book, but what is in the book for them. What are they going to get out of it? The content of the book is not nearly as important than what the outcome of the book is going to be for them when they read it. So that was another really, really helpful thing for me to figure out, figuring it out toward the end. So now that I'm nearly done, I am really looking forward to having the book completed and finished because I really love doing these podcasts. I really love like getting an idea for the podcast. I mean, I have a list of ideas for the podcast and I really love spending like two or three days researching the the topic and getting really deep into it and writing out an, an outline and diving in and learning something new that I feel is important and sharing it with you guys. It's my, it's so fun. It's my favorite thing. That's what I do to my friends all the time. Luckily, they're either interested or really good actors and are okay with me blabbing about whatever like thing I think is cool that I've learned recently. Um, and I'm really looking forward to being able to do this more. I want to go back to doing it every single week. That was my goal. And again, I apologize for not getting this out two weeks ago when I was supposed to. I do apologize for that. It's out now. It's the best I could do. I am going to work on a new strategy, though, because... If you remember, the very first episode of this podcast ever was called Done is Better Than Perfect. 
And that is true AF. Done is better than perfect. But you know what's better than done or perfect? Consistency. <laughs> Consistency. That is something I'm not so good at. And when I am consistent with this podcast, it feels so good. And people seem to enjoy it. I get 60, 80, 100 and something downloads a week. And when I don't post new ones, it's like 11. So I am happy that people are paying attention to this and that people are getting you're getting something out of it. At least I hope. I hope that you're getting something out of it. I mean, if you're not, and it's just something cool to listen to in the background, hey, that's fine too. Um, but I do want to thank you for spending your time with me and for listening to me blab about whatever it is that I find interesting. You guys are a wonderful, wonderful community, and thank you so much for spending your time with me. I just wanted to give you a brief overview of what writing this book has been like for me. I So many things have happened throughout it. You'll, you can hear if there are a few episodes that I talk about some of the major shifts that there just isn't time for to talk about today. Some of the like going toe-to-toe -to -toe with my narcissistic father, that was a part of a, a huge part of this. Another big part of writing this book the process anyway was when my my key my girl my dog got cancer and passed away unfortunately last july and i was consistently doing a podcast every week sometimes every other week but pretty much every single week for that whole year and then there was like six weeks or something that i couldn't i just i couldn't because she was so sick and i was just trying to take care of her there's been a lot of ups and downs and bumps along the way. And I'm so thankful to my friends for putting up with me through all of this. It's, it's been a challenge and a wild ride. And I appreciate all of my friends and all of my community and all of you listeners for being a part of this process. I couldn't have done it without you. Another final thing I should have said in the very beginning about this, uh, so I believe in environmental prosthetics. Now, hopefully that is self-descriptive, but like in the same way that people missing a limb have prosthetics in order to help them like move around and do the things that they need to do. I believe chronic stress adapted people, people like me, traumatized people, we do really well with environmental prosthetics. And for me, one of the things that I know, because I'm not great at consistency, is that like writing is hard, and I wasn't going to do it. The only way I was going to do it was if I shamed myself into doing it, and that's a lot of work. So I decided that I instead I would have other people shame me into it, and the way that I did that was by starting a Patreon. I started a Patreon for Rethinking Broken that has a core group of marvelous supporters that have been here from basically the very beginning, from almost three years ago now. They have been instrumental with their support for me because not only did they help me to afford like Penelope's edits when she, I got a, a like real full edits, I actually had to take out a personal loan to pay for edits and the book stuff and all of that. So, um, they tell you that 
self-publishing is free. And I'm here to tell you that that's bullshit. If you want to do it right, it's not free. You need a good editor. You need a lot of, you need software. You need a lot of stuff. It's not free. But for me, the most important part of the Patreon wasn't even the support. I had a, a tier for $3.33 and a tier for $9.99. And pretty much everybody went for the $9.99 tier because they just wanted to support me. The concept from the beginning was that if you supported me as a Patreon subscriber, I would upload a chapter a month while I was writing the book and you would get to see the concepts as they as they were born and how they changed over time and so like every single every single chapter of the book um as it's as it's been written and changed is up on Patreon um so if you if you want i guess you could just go um join the Patreon now and you'd have access to all that stuff. I'm not actually billing anybody. I shut the billing off a couple of months ago because I was slowing down and I'm really focusing on getting some stuff done and I was feeling weird about it going on for so long. So I shut it down. But the original agreement was that if you wanted to look at those chapters and do any edits and send me the edits, then I would put you in the back of the book as a grassroots editor. And that was the exchange. You would get pre you would get pre unreleased copies of the book as it was being written one chapter at a time and if you edited you'd be put in the book as a grassroots editor now basically nobody from patreon really uh, scratched that the reason I did that is because I knew if I had to post a chapter a month, I wasn't going to just like have, like write a chapter and then post it. I would have to stay ahead of it so I could just take whatever was there and upload something. And it forced me to stay engaged. It forced me to write when I didn't want to write. It forced me to be accountable to people outside of myself. And that's what I meant by shaming me into doing it. I really just, I needed accountability. And my Patreon supporters gave me the accountability that I needed to stay in the fight. So I, like I said, should have said that at the beginning. I didn't. There it is. Like, so I really just want to make it clear that I have no idea what I'm doing and that I'm making it up as I go, but I do know myself, and I think that's all we really need to know. If you know yourself well enough, you know your tendencies, then hopefully you can devise some ways to trick yourself or to fool yourself or to leverage whatever it is that you need to leverage to get whatever it is done that you want to get done. For me, I've had to do all kinds of weird stuff in order to get this book done, but it's been so good. It has been honestly the single best thing I ever did for myself, including Get Sober. Maybe that's not fair, because I couldn't have done this were I not sober from alcohol. There's no way. But it's right there. Like, honestly, sobriety was really hard, but this battle was as hard as sobriety but has lasted longer and especially since it's its own battle that challenged my sobriety there was a lot of times of where i wanted to and honestly did i did totally slip and drink on a few occasions because writing my story and my trauma was too much it was too much I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't cope. 
Luckily, I didn't drink myself under the table or anything, but I, I, I did give in, slip up, whatever you want to call it, because this shit's hard. It's hard, man. Anyway, I've bent your ear long enough. I just wanted to share with you what this process was like for me and apologize for not getting this episode out sooner. You're such a wonderful, wonderful group of people. Thank you for spending your time with me. If you like the podcast, consider leaving a comment or a review. They help more than anything else does. Or send it to some friends. Thank you so much for your time. And remember, stay curious and stay uncomfortable. 